0: This is Aurora. My name is Tim Difford. You're listening to the podcast from Soprasteria's Horizon Scanning Team. Along with my colleagues Richard Potter and Ben Gilbert, we look out three to five years into the future at the technological changes which are likely to have an impact on our clients and their customers. In this episode, we're focusing our attention on digital automation, the rise of the robots.
1: First up is
0: Richard Potter.
1: So, as ever with with these deep dives, researching into these topics, the key thing to start with is the conjecture. Yeah. And our our conjecture around digital automation is is about the displacement of human work by by digital automation, by machines, by robots, um, and about the extent of that and how uh, how that impact on human work is going to steadily rec- increase over time um, with the obvious benefits, but also the societal challenges mm. associated with that. Well, how do we feel about that as our, our conjecture in this topic?
0: Here's Ben Gilbert.
1: Yeah,
2: I think it's, it's right. Uh, perhaps looking at what we've we currently put to articulate that, we've given it more of a slant towards customer expectations. So the driver that we've set out right now is that customers want something quickly, uh, cheaply, and for it to be high quality. But we've not yet explored in the conjecture how that is affecting the workplace so much or that the causality is coming from the workplace as opposed to a customer demand.
1: Um, So I don't know if that's something we want to try and weave into it. That's interesting though, isn't it? Because most of what we do see in this space is about changing the workforce as opposed to changing the customer experience. No, do, do, yeah. Where, where, where are we? Where are we seeing robotics and, this and this is me.
0: machines play out? And I think that's where we're seeing it uh, make its presence felt today. But I suppose if we're interested in looking out three to five years, then it's probably going to migrate from there because we're seeing tools, hmm. products, and machine learning hmm. within the business context happening today, aren't we? So maybe that's why.
2: Yeah.
1: So you guys know that my my assistant is a machine, don't you? <laughs> yes, Julie, Ju- Julie. <laughs> With me. Yeah, yeah. Who um who manages my schedule and manages my my diary? She's um she's a robot and she's she's very good at it. And the the natural language recognition that she has, interpreting people's emails, demanding meetings, and scheduling events and things like that. That's um. That, that, that's, that, that's an increasingly big area of, of exploitation of, of this, this kind of technology. Um, but do you, do, you, do you see that as rolling out into the consumer space as well? Do you, do you see that, that people are going to have... I suppose it's yeah. extended into the virtual assistants that we yeah. see increasingly now? Well, I think it will. I,
0: I, in so much as those people who uh, are looking at a different type of career looking forward it's going to be more of a portfolio career more of a freelancer type career the, the importance of a, of a yeah. personal assistant virtual or otherwise is probably going to be increasingly important as they juggle a variety of different things so so I suppose that really blurs the boundary between what is work and what is personal and the reality yeah. is I guess does your personal assistant Julie manage personal appointments
2: for you as well as work appointments she won't be able to tell the difference she? Necessarily. Would she so? no she
1: wouldn't she wouldn't
2: um, do, there is kind of like a different manifestation of it between what the average consumer is using and in a business. So you will see things like Siri, Cortana, and Google's service that do a similar thing, kind of tying into your emails. But given a slightly different face, it's almost a bit more of a relaxed, sort of not-so-business-focused way and more intentionally appearing robotic because Julie, I think, tries her best... Not, to, yeah, not yeah, not people can be mistaken for thinking and that is and is yeah, that part it's of it? Is
0: that is that an early to market positioning deliberately done so that people some people think, oh actually
1: I suppose that, that that's dude, the dude cult, that's the stage we're in at the moment, isn't it, where sort of virtual assistants and automation part of the you know, the gimmick, the beguiling nature of it is is that people are Are wowed by how how anthropomorphic they are, Um, and that's you know. But we'll we'll quickly move beyond that because it'll become all about utility and you know the effectiveness of it. So is it important that they have a name? Is that part of the introductory ruse
0: to get people either comfortable with it or wowed by it? Yeah, Uh, you know, it's a bit like uh, when you're shopping and and. We're getting quite used to web chat now, but where that's automated quite often, that'll be replaced with a, a sort of animated avatar image. Yeah. Some. Is that important? Because mm-hmm. if, if it's truly about utility, then that aspect of the user experience of actually seeing a human face albeit be animated, is, does that add to the experience or, or not, or is it completely um,
2: irrelevant? I, don't know. I had quite an unusual experience with Virgin Media quite recently. Um, where they had their web chat and I initially started clearly talking to a robot because its answers were quite regimented and it would, there's certain replies you can notice from the kind of older chatbots where if you say something a bit out of what they expect it will say, sorry, I don't understand or sorry, could you repeat that again? That sort of thing, it started like that but I was just being quite intentionally seeing what I can do to break this so keep going until it gets too confused and like your Turing test. Yeah, a <laughs> Turing <laughs> test or Virgin Media chat box. But it got to a point where I thought, this is actually giving me far too good at answers. And I don't know quite when it happened, but a person stepped in, so they had a point of their automated chat to say, you've had too many confusing answers. Can uh, we start to get a human involved here? Didn't say and it we are escalated out of that into yeah. a real queue. I didn't know when it happened. I just suddenly thought, because I'm putting in ridiculous questions here and you're giving me clearly human answers. And, yeah, it was getting confused by these questions before. Now it's answering them. It handed uh, it off kind of seamlessly and to And at what point
0: did that that human actor then say, you're wasting our time <laughs> by asking <laughs> these random questions?
2: Yeah. Did it? How did um, it? Uh, I mean, I, I, was, I was doing it seeing what sort of a deal I could get on my broadband, but yeah. then... I started thinking, what can I do in here? And I was just just started putting in a little story about. I, th- I think I was talking about Wilson, my imaginary dog, and doing his typing
1: into the keyboard of. <laughs> just yeah. sitting. Far too on. much time on your hands. Yeah, yeah clearly, yeah. <laughs> Having fun all the. But is this? Yeah. But then, is this uh, an increasing, uh, increasingly important angle to think about in this topic? Is is that because? Uh, artificial intelligence and automation is moving into such a sophisticated area of human interaction now that those moments where very quickly uh, a lack of understanding will develop yeah. in the automated conversation that our clients and us need to be thinking about how to handle that transition into a point at yeah. which okay the human's got control now we're going to it, we, we've, we, we've always had lots of different delivery models for services, haven't we? G- you know, the, beyond this sort of the immediate face-to-face reaction between one person to another, yeah. we, we've moved services back into the back office, so they're delivered by call centres, and um, they're automated in terms of the sense that they're managed by a script of, of transactions that happen. Um, those are quite structured experiences, and the, the process of escalation, it's actually, actually quite manageable. It's quite obvious to see at which points, you know, incidents need to be elevated up through the, the management chain to more senior, more responsible people. Yeah. Is, is what we're seeing around this virtual assistant automation type experience, is, is that any more complicated than perhaps this, this sort of more transactional world mm. that we've moved from? I think- at the moment, we are in
2: a very kind of transitional phase of it. So, there's not the level of trust at the moment in the automated system to say we will hand it off completely. Um, Julie, uh, for example, she doesn't. She will do everything herself, but there is someone who is sitting behind it who is going to check, make sure it's right before it goes out. And it's it's partly so. I guess the people can sit there behind it check if it's right and improve the algorithms so there might be a combination of machine learning and kind of facilitated learning there is a, a degree of human intervention isn't there if, it, if Julie gets
1: stopped. so with Julie yeah ultimately I think on the outbound gate even with the wonderful Julie there, is, there are human beings that are sense checking and making sure that uh, and I'm quite sure some of the interactions that I have with Julie, t- particularly with my lack of coordination of my own schedule, are so complicated and you know, obscure that I'm quite sure humans are, are involved in that process. But like Ben's experience with, with, with Virgin, that, that, that becomes seamless. I, can I say categorically at what point I know that a machine is doing this and what point a human being is, is being involved? Part of the, you know, the, the elegance in the service is the fact that that switch mm. isn't, isn't abrupt. But, but is, there, is there some customer deceit
0: in that? And, and is Julie being deceitful in some way by the fact that some people think she's real? Uh, and the only time that you spot that she's not real is when she makes an obvious glitch an obvious error that that generally a human wouldn't make and I wonder whether for the foreseeable future robots such as they are whether they be a programme or an animated graphic that, that has human features or a physical robot that's been made to look a sort of human do they still need to look a bit robotic to give us the comfort that we know they're robots I'm thinking is this if you think about the alien films and I think it's in the second one where a member of the crew partway through turns out to be an android. And there is really, re- real human mm. discomfort amongst the rest mm. of the crew mm. about the level of trust that they previously... And, 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 and the, the things that they'd shared with that individual and then suddenly, heck, they realise that they're, they're an android. and, and also, are you, are, you, are you building up to some revelation? <laughs> Possibly. The other one is Total Recall, and I'll delve into even further back in time. But the, the Arnold Schwarzenegger version of Total Recall, if you remember, Johnny Cab. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of stuff at the moment, as we know, about driverless cars. But in Total Recall, Johnny Cab had this almost like ventriloquist dummy type, you know, incredibly artificial driver that eventually... Alan Schwarzenegger and again knocks out of the cab and drives drives the car and gets so frustrated with the dumbed down options. But the point being, is it important to have robots, act, you know, really painted "I'm a robot" on them, so for a while until people get to trust them enough? I don't, was, I don't know.
2: Yeah. There's something really creepy about a robot which looks almost human but not quite. Yeah. There was a. There's a channel on YouTube called V-Source, and the guy talks on one episode about what is creepy, what makes things creepy, and part of it was something which yeah. which he was talking about robots. There's a video of uh, singing androids, and they are they're effectively semi-human looking mannequins, and they've put quite robotic voices onto them, but doing a bit of singing and kind of arm movements going alongside it as well. And it's just disconcerting you've, if, it's, if it's how human it seems you've, you've kind of if you can't get 100% there where it can fool you you've got to make it almost intentionally That's not
1: trying and it's the intention it. yeah. Yeah. So, so going back to our conjecture on this though the, the, uh, are we are we then genuinely saying that robotics and automation is out there to replace human work or are we saying that it's another layer of experience that sits seamlessly on top of the human delivery process?
0: I think it varies. Mm. I, think, yeah. I, think, I think where it has a human interface, then it needs to, I think it perhaps needs to be seen to complement yeah. what goes before it or what goes alongside it. Whereas if it's, if it's an integral part of an end-to-end process that actually doesn't have any customer touch points or human interactions involved it's happening somewhere along the chain and if, then if you, it, it's
1: not necessary to have a, to pretend to be anything other than
0: if you automation.
1: think about some of the conversation we've been we've been talking lately with companies like ARIA who specialize in natural language recognition and, and you know when you, when you talk to to them they very much see that as being uh, a decision support tool for human beings it's a way of presenting information and communicating with with people yeah. In a more efficient way. Uh, well, this is
0: interesting because it's the other end of it, isn't it? Well, it's yeah. the natural language generation that connects to the recognition at yeah. yeah. one end
1: yeah. and then it creates the responses in a variety of different tones of voice. So they're at definitely, the other end, so they're they're definitely automating part of the process. Yeah. So, it, you know, presenting that kind of information from a relatively unstructured set of data would otherwise take a f- significant amount of man-hours to do. And they, that's what they're doing by, by natural language you know, analysis and generation. But they're not, they're not looking to displace the entire human being from that, that very human decision-making activity that sits around it. And I think you know, st- stripping ourselves away from the, kind of the, the consumer-related experiences of, sort of Cortana and, and Siri and all of that kind of thing... When we're advising our customers in technology and services, it's more likely going to be in the kind of the, the area end of things about how do we use digital automation to, to supplement, to enhance the way that, uh, that, that, that humans are, are interacting within the service processes that they make at the moment. It, 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 I mean, a, there's a question mark behind that. Do, do, we, do we see that? Yeah, there's a, there's a weird thing as well where, when
2: people are using these types of tools, um, kind of two angles of it. One side is uh, a couple of the guys, when we met with ARIA, um, they mentioned that they almost cannot use the, the kind of text that the robot comes out with because it will come across too similar. Um, they were suggesting that if there's several different companies that need to report back to any kind of regulatory body, and they see that three companies have come back, yes, the numbers in it are different, but the code is the same. So that was really
1: interesting, that, wasn't it? So the the context of that was talking about in the insurance industry, I think, and the... the Regulator, regulatory reports. So you've got multiple insurance companies all using the same uh, intelligence engine that would generate reports back for compliance back to the same regulator. And there was an anxiety expressed that actually, if the regulator saw the same reports back from different companies, that that would be wrong in some sense, because it would suggest that, to be honest, it's been generated by a machine rather than a human being. But when you strip that away, that is, it's an irrational, it's an irrational thought. And it's more to do with the point that, you know, that Tim's making about the fact that actually you want your robots to be recognisable up front and that there's no opaqueness or you know hiding the fact that this was automated. Mm-hmm. And yet the, the, the receiver of that information needs to be open-minded enough to say that actually a machine-generated report is still valid, it's yeah, still adequate. Because actually,
0: the thing in that instance that the regulator ought to concern themselves with are the statistics and, the, and, and, and is the data that comprises the meat of the report, not the, the, the language that surrounds it, the paragraphs that, that, that hold that data within it. And they might be modified to, to look like they come from different voices, but ultimately, the statistics are what they're going to look for there. So it shouldn't matter, but it still clearly does.
2: Yeah, I think there's a part where people would rather see a mistake being made by a human than a mistake being made by a robot. Because there there's a lot of evidence in all sorts of robotic automation that you, you will set out a very clear set of guidelines. It won't make mistakes from that. And the error rates, if the error rates on a computer are 1%, and the error rates for a human are 30%, mm. people would... People, for some reason, there's still going to be a, a greater outcry for a computer getting it wrong.: Do you think for so? a, computer, oh, oh, or a human is, computer So is yeah. the
0: level of confidence in a robot, the, its fallibility or its lack of fallibility, because the emotional confidence might be from the fact that that Japanese dancing robot falls over now and again. <laughs> yes. So you think, "Oh, that's okay. Not, it's not, you know, we're not quite in the future yet. But when
1: it stops falling over. Are we more worried about that? Has our, has our confidence level risen or fallen? But this goes into the self-driving cars debate a bit as well, doesn't it? With the fact that you know those decision-making processes about when a car has got to run into either a bunch of small children or you know an old guy crossing the street, and which is the better one of, of doing that? Yeah. You know. And is that decision? Best left to a machine, or would it actually be you know slightly more acceptable if it was a human being that actually created that, that, that instance and I think these are all things that you know that ethically we're just not we 're not, not immersed in enough to now, kind of so early to, on, to isn't feel it? comfortable. It's so early on in terms of how we,
0: how we mentally and psychologically yeah. and emotionally cope with yeah. interactions
1: with non humans yeah, but I, I just think that you know there is some there are some very, very obvious benefits, obviously, from the adoption of automation in terms of efficiency and providing different delivery models, simply different de- delivery models, um, that, that are currently here with us now but it's more about the extension of those out into the, the, the fuller service experiences that, that we're, we're getting to. I mean, we, we currently, you know, as a company, we work with organizations like Blue Prism where we're, doing, where we're using robotics within service delivery. And in our sense, that provides a kind of a third option around you know, onshore delivery, offshore delivery, or robotics. It's, it's broadly, it's another piece of the portfolio there. Um, and that's here. But what, what increasingly I think we're exploring here is is that, that the, the boundaries between those delivery models are almost as important as being the actual way that each of them are delivered. So when you're handing off between each of those delivery experiences and you're trying to create a seamless, seamless experience for the customer through that process. Yeah. Those that's interesting.
0: That seamless experience is quite interesting, really, because if... Before we were building in robotics into our armory of of ways in which we can deliver services to our clients, it was all about blending onshore delivery and offshore delivery, as you mentioned. But the importance from a stereo perspective for our clients is actually that we do the blending, it's irrelevant to them, they can't tell. And yet interestingly at the moment, technology-wise, it's quite important and interesting to talk about robotics and automation and machine learning, etc., and the value it adds how far are we away from actually not wanting to talk about it because it's irrelevant to our clients. They just want a, a good service delivered, you know, timely and in, in a responsive way, in, in a way that meets the needs that they're looking for as a business.
1: Yeah. So do we think then that the, the singularity is <laughs> is not going to happen? That actually we're always going to be thinking about, you know, you could argue that the singularity is that point at which those managing those interfaces doesn't you know, is no longer necessary. The whole thing is, is done by the machine. But but do you think that the singularity is so distant that there are always going to be those yeah those 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 transitions between a human delivery experience and a uh, robotics? Experience. Are we ready yet for an interfaceless experience with a computer?
2: are, are yeah. we happy for it to just happen? and not have access to it and just trust that it's... That will t- it's confidence over time, isn't it? And I think there, there will be lots of different
0: singularity moments, moments of doubt where, uh, as to what, what you're dealing with is, is human, driven by human or robotic process. I suppose when those elements of doubt disappear and you don't even think about it, that, that's going to be on them. It's not quite the singularity, is it? You know, th- those, those specific
2: moments that are memorable... I, mean, I, I was having a chat a few days ago about, I mean, singularity in the sense of AI and kind of true sentient computing. Mm. But um, talking about it from the point of view of the kind of philosophical angle. And it, it almost kind of borders on religious as well in a certain context. Because what, what we were saying is when, when a computer becomes conscious, if we do ever achieve that, how, how do we then have to treat it thereon because are we going to regard it as its own separate form of life in which case uh, as an intelligent creator are we allowed to turn it off does, does that come under animal rights or as well, a creator do we have these people? are like azim- Yeah, <laughs> loads
0: of robotics wow. aren't they wow. really. yeah. and, and I often think about those when wanting to create a regulatory report for an
1: insurance <laughs> organiser. <report. laughs> <laughs> <laughs> it's suddenly got a mind of its own. But it, but what I find quite interesting, because it's, it's very easy to just observe that we're, you know, we're, we're just degenerating into the classic, it's creepy conversation about robots and machines. But underneath it all, I think what we are saying is, is that the key challenge is delivering a seamless customer experience. You know, whether it's you know business to consumer or business to business or whatever, it's all mm. about that seamless yeah. customer experience. So if you're advising companies on how to apply robotics and automation, the start point still has to be you have to be responsive to that customer experience. Yes. And if you don't understand your customer experience and if you're not regularly iterating and thinking about your customer experience and how you can enrich that customer experience, the, it's going to be incredibly difficult to apply robotics in a, you know, in a way that makes that customer experience yeah. still productive. So you know, it's still one of those classic things where you can go out and there's an amazing opportunity with the injection of technology in this, but actually getting those basics right of understanding what the customer experience is is and, and, that's, and, and, and that's where it comes risky. back to okay.
0: uh, it, it, the fact that it's no different to an on, a blended onshore and offshore delivery it is just another component within the solution and if, and, and if the overall solution doesn't meet the customer requirement of either you know, improving efficiency or driving down cost or both or whatever it is then it's, it's irrelevant really but equally uh, when will we stop talking about it and it just becomes yet another part of our, another tool in our
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a good. I think that's a good summary of where we are at the moment. I think. I think it'd be interesting, and we'll obviously we'll research all of this a lot, a lot more as we go on. Um, But yeah, that's that's great. Really good. Really good conversation. Good. Excellent.
0: You've been listening to Aurora the podcast created by Sopra Steria's Horizon scanning team. You can follow us on Twitter. Richard Potter tweets at RichPotter underscore. Ben Gilbert tweets at BenInnovates. I tweet at Tim Difford. We hashtag our discussions on robotics and automation at hashtag DigitalAutomation. And if you're interested in exploring the other trends we regularly delve into and you get your news fix from the Flipboard app on iOS, Android and Windows devices, search for our Aurora magazine where we collect stories which pique our attention from around the world. I've been Tim Difford. We hope you've enjoyed Aurora and hope you'll join us again soon.